Could a new pilot hydrogen plant in Victoria make Australia the Saudi Arabia of hydrogen fuel and at the same time extend the life of coal mines around the country? It's an exciting prospect. Let's find out more. You're listening to the CFMEU Mining and Energy Podcast. Okay, so you might have heard about the pilot hydrogen plant in the coal-rich Latrobe Valley in Victoria. It's nestled in between two gigantic power stations, Luoyang A and Luoyang B. And the reason it's there is the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Yes, well, the Olympics have been moved to 2021 due to the coronavirus, as we all know. But the Japanese want to use hydrogen in their fleet of vehicles for their Olympics. So along with the Australian and Victorian governments, they've chucked in half a billion bucks. Of course, it's not really about the Olympics. That's just a great way of showcasing Aussie hydrogen on the world stage. It's really about developing a new hydrogen industry in the land down under so we can lead the world in hydrogen production and eventually supply all the vehicles in Japan and countries all over the world for that matter with this new fuel. And of course, everyone is excited about the possibilities of hydrogen because when you burn it in a car or a power station, the only emission you get is water and everyone loves water. Victorian District President Jeff Dyke has been keenly watching the pilot plant's progress. It's almost completed its construction and it's due to start producing hydrogen very shortly. There will be about 10 people operating the plant uh, when it's in production. It will produce hydrogen which will ultimately be transported by truck down to Hastings and then put on a cryogenic ship to be taken to Japan. Jeff explains how they make the hydrogen. You can bust brown coal but starve it partially of oxygen. You have incomplete combustion and the carbon in the coal will burn off to carbon monoxide. As part of the process, you inject steam, which is H2O, at high temperature at 600 degrees. The carbon monoxide grabs the oxygen from the steam and forms carbon dioxide. Then you're left with hydrogen. But as well as hydrogen, engineers are left with CO2. Jeff says they have a plan for that. We still produce CO2 in the process, but because we're located near Bass Strait uh, oil and gas fields, there's a very good geological uh, formation to pump CO2 in and carbon capture and storage that CO2, so it's locked up. We'll be burning coal and producing pure hydrogen with um, almost zero carbon emissions. Tony Wood is Energy Program Director at Think Tank, the Grattan Institute. He says Australians are already capturing millions of tonnes of carbon dioxide under the sea. We basically pipe it underground or under the the ocean floor. It's a technology that is well understood. There's been a lot of research done in Australia and overseas. There's a large project in Norway that's been running for 30 or 40 years without any obvious signs of uh, problems with that storage of that CO2. An even larger project began in um, the northwest shelf of Australia um, off the coast in a project called Gorgon, where those companies, part of the deal they did with the regulatory authorities there was to put the CO2 that came out of the gas well with the gas, put it back where it came from. So we know how to do that. 
Jeff says if a commercial hydrogen industry kicks off in the Latrobe Valley as a result of the pilot hydrogen plant, local power station workers and coal miners would win big. Um, the mining jobs will remain, although the coal volume required may increase, which will increase jobs in mining. In energy production, the skills are directly transferable to production of hydrogen. If we've got a high-volume plant, there'll probably be growth in energy jobs as well. So basically, if we want to be at the forefront of the hydrogen revolution, we need to play around with it, work out how to make it, how to transport it, how to put it on ships, and how to scale up production. Tony Wood explains. The idea of this pilot project is to try and test that entire supply chain manufacture the hydrogen, uh, store it, put it in a ship, transport it to Japan and so forth. Now, part of it's already been started, including the ship, for example, to transport the hydrogen. Yes, the Suiso Frontier is a 116-metre monster fitted with a vacuum-insulated, double-shelled liquid hydrogen storage tank capable of holding 1,250 cubic metres of liquid hydrogen. But before they can get it in the ship, they have to chill it to minus 253 degrees. That's another thing they'll be testing and perfecting. Eventually, they want to pipe the hydrogen to Port Hastings rather than truck it. Jeff Dyke is excited about commercial hydrogen production. He says if Australia gets in on the ground floor of this energy revolution, there could be billions of dollars to be made and thousands of jobs created in Australia, especially in regional areas. If we manufactured hydrogen at an export scale, um, it probably wouldn't just be the Latrobe Valley. To get the volumes um, required, um, other regions could also produce hydrogen for export, and certainly we could use hydrogen here for steel making, and there's certainly potential for a lot of jobs across Australia if we're going to supply the world's transport systems with hydrogen. Yes, if Australia became the Saudi Arabia of hydrogen fuel, supplying the gas to the world to power cars, power stations and homes across the globe, using our abundant natural resources, it would be fantastic. Incidentally, the hydrogen market is set to supply a fifth of the world's energy needs by 2050 and be worth $2.5 We are one of the few countries that could actually produce hydrogen to scale. So watch this space. Well, BHP's in-house labour hire company, Operation Services, is dudding miners at the Mount Arthur Open Cut in the Hunter. Vice President of the Northern District, Jeff Drayton, explains. OS's proposal at Mount Arthur is to change the roster from a seven-on, seven-off roster, which they've worked since OS arrived at site, now back to a five-and-four roster, which means they work for five-and-four off and then work for four and have five off. So... Effectively, that instead of travelling once a fortnight, you'll travel three times a fortnight. And it's not just rosters. We understand that OS's proposal is that uh, there'll be no more there'll be no more compensation for flights. So if you if you need to fly in and out of Mount Arthur site, it'll be all at your own expense, and there'll also be no accommodation provided. So you'll have to provide uh, your own accommodation within obviously within that local area. So within you know, within an hour's drive as uh, as other permanent employers at site do. So no more accommodation, i.e. motels in Musselbrook and Singleton, that won't, that won't occur anymore. That means things will get almost impossible for interstate workers. If you live in Queensland or Victoria, or South Australia for that matter, uh, you, you're just not going to be able to uh, afford to pay for your own flights from there. 
And of course, the closest you can probably fly from some of those places is to Sydney, and then commute from from Sydney, which is about between three and four hours to the site, or certainly three or four hours to within close enough to travel to that site. And then on top of that, find accommodation for a start, pay for that accommodation, and uh, and and all the other expenses, i.e. meals, um, work at Mount Arthur, and still be able to make you know still be able to make a uh, a decent living out of it. I mean, the majority of your wages. In fact, a reasonable majority of wages are going to go. And they're going to go to just getting yourself to and from site and housing yourself while you're there. Jeff is worried this is a bit of a strategy to force operation services workers to throw in the towel. I've had uh, many members you know, that, that travel from those places say to me, "Listen, I'm just not going to be able to do it. You know, if I don't, if I if I don't get moved from from Mount Arthur if I'm required to uh, pay my own accommodation and pay my flights, I'm just not going to be able to do it. I'm going to have to leave. I'd be better off staying." where I am and on a job, you know, working on a job with with half the wages and I'd still be better off than I am now. So, um, yeah, the strategy to move to this roster, no doubt, um, will we'll force people to to uh, have to resign and, and leave uh, and leave that site. They're just, just, you know, financially, it's just not going to be viable for them to continue to, to pay those expenses uh, themselves. Jeff says he's concerned about the effect BHP's moves will have on workers' families. We said to BHP right from the start, not, not just not just the union, but the community, you know, the local council, everyone told them that, listen, the, this fly-in, fly-out, drive-in, drive-out model won't work in a residential community like Musselbrook. We told them it wouldn't work, uh, we knew it wouldn't work, but yet BHP went ahead to do it. So they bring people in, as I've said, from Queensland to Victoria and South Australia and up and down the east coast of New South Wales and frankly just ruin their working prospects. You know, you bring people in on the promise that this is what we're going to do for you and, uh, you know, a year or a couple of years into the into what you've, you've promised them, all of a sudden the rules just change. And all of a sudden now all these people who set their lives up around, um, and some of them certainly first time people in the industry, um, be a pretty bad experience for those people thinking the mining industry, this is what the mining industry is like and this is how you get treated in the mining industry if, you, if your first time you, you joined was for an OS job and it happened to be at Mount Arthur, and this is how you got treated. But it's just ruined those people. They, yeah, they set, set themselves up, they set their families up, they get their families used to them being away for a week and home for a week, and all of a sudden, you know, they're not home for a week or away for a week. Well, they're probably still nearly away for a week with the travel, but they're only home for a few days and got to go back and do it all again. So it just ruins families, it ruins lives. You know, all these promises uh, a BHBOS have made. Um, well, I guess it hasn't taken them long to break them, has it? Yes, it's a tough time for OS workers at Mount Arthur in the Hunter. Well, I've absolutely loved doing this podcast for the last six months. I've learned so much. Uh, the permanent casual rort where uh, workers are getting uh, 50 grand less plus not getting their sick leave or annual leave. Um, I've loved covering the choppers in Newcastle and how they just wouldn't be there um, except for uh, members' uh, contributions. Um, I thought we might bring in uh, a big fan of the podcast actually here. Uh, Nick Dixon uh, is a new organiser in central Queensland. G'day, Nick. How are you, mate? I'm good. Look, you know, we had some words the other day and you said, look, I'm actually really enjoying it. And my biggest problem is um, making sure that my dad hears it because he has, uh, you know, some technical issues. Yeah, that's right. He's uh, he's not up to date on the technology these days. And so you have to kind of tag him in Spotify. Can you explain what that means? When it comes up on my Facebook page, I'll um, tag him on my Facebook page and then he can then listen to it. And I think he only really gets sections of it. 
but just recently I've um, I've shown him how to get it on his uh, iPhone, so he can go into his iTunes and then now he gets an update so that he can actually listen to it that way. Yeah, look, it's sort of the easiest way if you do have an iPhone or an iPad, you go to that podcast app and you search using CFMEU and Mining and Energy and so on and you get it and um, you subscribe and Bob's your auntie, right? But you can also get it on Spotify. Um, you can go to the Common Cause website and find it there. We started a couple of months ago, Nick, uh, chopping up bits of it and putting it online as little videos and putting some captions on it so you could read it if you weren't in an environment where you could have audio playing out loud and they've been really successful and we've been trying to point people back to the podcast but we appreciate you on the ground helping people who are technologically you know luddites to to, to sort of like help them sort of get on there listen what have you enjoyed and and i know you've been listening for a while what's some of the stuff that we've covered that you've um, been into i enjoy listening to the um stories of the old times um, the updates from our um, district executives you know um the campaigns that's going on um, there was a really good one in the September one with uh, Mitch Hughes about the OS apprentices not actually getting to do a full trade. Hmm. Um, yeah, there's some of the things that I really like. Are you a podcast guy? No, not really. I've sort of only just got into it in the last 12 months. And you're sort of pretty satisfied with the ABC's offering on with their app. You don't, you don't even need to necessarily go uh, deep diving for, for podcasts. That's what I'm gathering from what we've talked about before. Yeah, that's exactly right, mate. It's sort of just a, a one-touch button and it's a, the radio for me sort of thing, basically. Hmm. Well, listen, uh, we'd love to get some feedback. Uh, we are trying to um, change up uh, this podcast. We're trying to pick out new things, new formats, new story ideas. People can uh, get to us at commoncause at cfmeu.com.au, commoncause at cfmeu.com.au. Uh, Nick, uh, thank you so much for listening. Keep helping your dad get on to it. Tell us a bit about your dad. Why is he such a big fan? Oh, he's a, he's a retired miner. He started mining back in Ipswich in 1978 and sort of worked his way around Australia, or around Queensland um, in a few mines. So, you know, Ipswich, Curra, Peak Downs, Gunyella before he headed back to Ipswich to retire. And it just sort of keeps him up to date in the industry and he gets to hear stories of the old times. Common cause at cfmeu.com.au if you would like to give us a little bit of feedback on um, the good gear that we're doing uh, and what we can do to improve it. Nick, lovely to talk to you, mate. Talk soon. Thanks, mate. You're listening to the CFMEU Mining and Energy Podcast.